Good morning, everybody. You know, um, for 40 years, I preached week in and week out to this group, and uh, it was wonderful. And it's really good to be back up here in this uh, big, new, impressive pulpit again. But I want to tell you, it's been really great on Sundays to be able to sit with Susan in a back pew and just worship with everybody. I'm so grateful for this time in our life. Uh, just before the service, I ran into an old friend, and then in the lesson from uh, Philippians this morning, it said we should honor men of God. Uh, so there's a man here I want to honor this morning, Lon Solomon, who was pastor of McLean Bible Church. For We were working at the same time, 40 years. You might not know that we were uh, at uh, Chapel Hill together. We were living rather different lives at that point, but we were there at the, <laughs> the same time. And uh, Lon and I retired about the same time. And uh, I just want to honor a man who every Sunday the last several years was preaching to 20,000 people. And now on the radio is preaching to a million people every day. So Lon, would you just stand up wherever you are? We want to honor you. So uh, this is going to be kind of a gritty message, kind of down in the dirt this morning, wrestling with some tough things. So I want to begin cheerfully and tell you how much I hope you're having a wonderful summer uh, and that your life is going fantastically well. I really do hope so, because I know that for a lot of folks in the church, uh, this has not been an easy summer. And actually, for a number of you, it's been a very painful season. And you've been dealing with some sorrow. And it's especially to you who've been dealing with sorrow this summer uh, that I want to aim my thoughts this morning. I'll begin by telling you something about us that you probably wouldn't know. Uh, Several years ago, my wife's mother, who was probably the wisest woman I've ever known, uh, she was tragically killed when a truck ran a red light and broadsided her and the driver was on his cell phone and she was on her way that Monday morning to minister to a young a young mother who had a baby she was having a hard time dealing with the uh, overwhelmingness of a new child and when we got the word it was just it was worse than devastating it was It was beyond anything we'd ever imagined, and it should never have happened. Then, not very long after that, the mother of one of our dearest friends was killed when a reckless driver crashed into her as she was stepping out of her car. And the way our friend described the pain of living with this loss uh, it really resonated deeply with us. And this, this is what she said about it. My mother died tragically and suddenly as I watched the out-of-control car sweep her away. Afterwards, as I plunged into deep depression, 
I found nothing that reached my dark soul, nothing that helped me know that God was still with me. I was numbed by grief, frozen into solitude, and nothing and no one seemed to be able to penetrate my protective walls. I found it very difficult to pray or to read the Bible. I couldn't concentrate. Nothing seemed to help. For a full two years, that's where I was. Sometimes I barely clung on. Hugs rubbed me wrong. And consoling, well-meaning cliches did not ring true. The grief was all-consuming. And then she closed by saying, and it's the price we pay for love. Well, here's the thing. In the last month, a series of sudden tragic losses have swept over this church community. A son of the parish, a young man with young children died of Lou Gehrig's disease helpless against its onslaught of total paralysis, fighting it for 30 months, a a deeply committed Christian young man. His father said to me this week, honestly, John, to see this once athletic and self-capable young man be so tortured and frustrated without any real sense of comfort for the last months has been agony for all of us. Not the least for him, self, that little baby we cradled in 1979. And he said, my eyes water. Then immediately two young grandchildren of parishioners died suddenly, tragically, leaving one father so distraught that we lost him too very soon. Then two of the most vibrant women in our church community uh, who we know are close to, we love, are uh, suddenly stricken, suddenly frighteningly uh, ill, with cancer. And then most of you know that a former Falls Church fellow, a former member of our staff uh, here, a young mom now lost her husband when he was murdered, shot repeatedly as they slept beside one another at night. And the suspected killer is one known to some of us one who has been here among us much. To say that we've been deeply saddened, shocked, troubled, grieving, that's just to put it mildly. Things like this shouldn't happen. But these things have happened. And to godly people and godly Christian families. And I'm sure there are other recent tragic losses that I'm not aware of Some of you are. So we've been harshly reminded that the Lord does not always protect us against tragic loss or grief. Oh, thank God. We we do see miraculous healings. And we do see extraordinary answers to prayer. 
and, and we see providential acts that protect us or spare our loved ones. We see these things frequently, but we've seen this summer, the truth of what Jesus said to his friends when he said to the apostles in John chapter 13, in the world, you will have troubles, many trials and sorrows. And it's true, it's true for all of us. Some of the young people here perhaps have not experienced this yet, but if you live long enough, you will. And over the years, we've seen many sorrows in our church family. We've seen prodigal sons and daughters who pulled away from home, pulled away from church, breaking off family relationships, or turning away with children, siblings who have turned against one another. We've seen people with 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 wonderful dreams unfulfilled or plans that have failed. We've seen ugliness, unkindness, a judgmentalism between families. We've seen individuals, um, you know, lose jobs, experience long periods of unemployment, the pain of feeling unproductive, unable to provide for your family. We know that God's children have countless blessings. Uh, but we have surely seen that, yes, in the world, we have trouble. We have pain and sorrow as well. And even the most respected servants of God experience great sorrows. I think about King David in two examples, one in Second Samuel. Uh, when David lost his son, Absalom, a terrible, that terrible battle. But you, you remember his words, oh, Absalom. My son, my son, if only I had died instead of you. Or earlier when he and his soldiers returned to find their, their hometown sacked and their wives and children kidnapped. First Samuel 30 says, David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Or the great apostle Paul who wrote of uh, being overcome with grief at almost losing his dear friend. This was read this morning, uh, Philippians chapter two. It's a, it's, a, it's a moving passage. He says, I, I thought that I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, a faithful worker and a courageous soldier of Christ. He was your messenger to help me in my time of need. He was probably a young man. Paul says, now I'm sending him home to you again because he's been longing to see you and he was very distressed that you heard that he's been ill. And yes, he surely was ill. In fact, he almost died. And then listen to what he wrote. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have to experience such unbearable sorrow. Now look, this is the same Paul who in the previous chapter was talking about the glory of a Christian's death. He said, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I wanna go be with Jesus. That's so much better. And now he says, if he lost his dear friend, it would be sorrow upon sorrow. I get it, don't you? That's the way we feel. We know so well how true this is. So I want to take you this morning 
just to one verse in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, to remind you of a great and comforting truth. Now, Isaiah, the Jewish prophet, was given by God centuries before Jesus was born. You know this. He was given a series of prophetic visions in which he described the coming Messiah. And his visions of the ministry and the life and the death of Jesus are eerily accurate and, and, and well known to many of you. But I wonder how many of you have really noticed or pondered this one statement about Isaiah, about Jesus in Isaiah 53, verse three. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Here's how he saw Jesus. A man who suffered, a man of sorrows, who knew pain and sickness and bitterness firsthand, bitterest grief. Do you you ever think about the Lord that way? I mean, when God's own son came into the world and walked among us, he was not always this... um, jovial, laughing man who was just filled with the joy of the life of God. Well, he was like that a lot of the time. But what we also see is a man who was greatly saddened every day because he saw the consequences of living in a world that had rejected God and was filled with alienation and greed and disease and cruelty and death. And these things are not the way it is supposed to be. These are not the reasons God created the world and Jesus had been there. He knew this and he saw how bent this world had become and it grieved him. So once when he was approaching the city of Jerusalem, he looked out over the great city from the Mount of Olives to the east and Luke tells us that when he drew near the city and looked out upon it, he wept. A man of sorrows John tells us again, when the Lord came to the graveside of his dear friend Lazarus, he wept again. He knew he was going to raise his friend back to life before the day was over, but still he wept. Why? The precise words that John used tell us that Jesus was deeply moved, troubled in spirit, saddened and angry at the same time time, saddened and angry at the same time that this had happened. Isn't that the way you and I feel when death comes to some young person out of the blue unexpectedly? God created the world beautiful, healthy, full of wonderful life. He did not create the world made for young people to die cruel deaths in it. The tears of Jesus were tears of sorrow and anger at what our world has become because it has fallen away from our God and what God made it to be. It's not the way things ought to be. But not only that, when the prophet describes Christ as the man of sorrows, immediately Isaiah then adds these words, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It isn't only that God's son experienced all 
the sorts of sorrows other human beings experience so that he understands our grief. It's, it's more than even that. He's a man of sorrows because on the cross, he took upon himself all the sorrows that we have experienced. He took their terrible pain upon himself in order that in this life we might, we might have their terrible burden lifted away, that we might be renewed and restored even in the greatest of sorrows. When I was about 16, you know, I had grown up in a Christian family in the church and I knew the Lord, but um, I, I went out to a camp in Colorado, about 200 young people run by Young Life organization. And uh, I didn't know being a Christian could be so much fun. It was just the greatest, most fun I'd ever had. And uh, I learned about a view of the Christian life. It's a life of abundance and joy. And I was surrounded by other young people and we were talking about the Bible and praying and it was uh, amazing and we'd get together at nights in this uh, lodge and they'd lead us in music and we'd sing these these raucous rolling songs of faith that were just wonderful but I've never forgotten <laughs> you were there weren't you Judy <laughs> I know many of you were but there was one song that we sang that just it grabbed me and I thought, I've learned later on how wise it was that they included this song in the songbook. It goes so different from all the others. And it goes like this, man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a savior, a man of sorrows. Matthew wrote about Jesus as a man of sorrows and this way, describing him on the last night, he described Jesus as filled with anguish and deep distress, saying to his closest friends, my soul is crushed with grief. What does that mean? It, it means that our Lord knows all about our sorrows and our grief, and he knows just how hard our losses can be because he has experienced it all too. We don't worship a God who's remote and distant and cut off from the painful experiences of this life. He has known sorrow even more than we have. Years ago, John Stott, a great friend of our church, wrote something about this that I find very moving. He said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as God on the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to pain? And then he says this, I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha his legs crossed, his arms folded, his eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, Stott said, I have had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured, 
figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorns, mouth dry, intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. And then Stott said, that is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered into our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become manageable in the light of this. The word of God says it this way, speaking of Jesus in the book of Hebrews. We do not have a high priest or a savior who is unable to sympathize or understand or have fellow feelings with our weaknesses and infirmities because he himself in his humanity has suffered. He is able immediately to run to the cry, to assist, to relieve us in our testing, our own suffering. Isn't it true that when we are hurting, the one who can help us the most is someone else who has been through the same thing that we're now experiencing? Whenever you or I are grieving, hurting, disappointed, afraid, lonely, aching with the pain of a terrible loss, God knows. God understands it. And he is with us in our sorrows. There's an old hymn that goes like this. There is no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than up in heaven. There's no place where earth's failings have such kindly judgment given. There is plentiful redemption in the blood that has been shed. There is joy for all the members in the sorrows of the head. Sometimes I think that we don't really come to know the Lord truly until we've come to him in a time of deep, deep sorrow. That's when he can be closest to us. And be assured these times will come. And when they do, you may not sense the Lord's presence at all. When you feel you most need it, he may, he may seem completely absent. It may be that all you feel is emptiness, numbness, grief. But I promise you the comfort of God will come in time. It will come to those who wait on him because ultimately, ultimately, as St. Paul said in Romans 8, ultimately, we cannot be separated from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. So let me just summarize now as we move towards close. What I've been trying to say, first of all, there will be times of great sorrow in this life because evil is real. Why God allows evil, I do not know and no one knows. But evil is real. And second, the Lord Jesus knows fully all your grief and pain and disappointment and sorrow and so much more because he's experienced it and he is real. And God can meet us in our suffering. So when you find yourself grieving and suffering, 
What do you do? Don't try to pretend it away. No, don't, and don't run away from God. Be completely honest with God in your prayers, just as David was in that Psalm 142 that we read. I guess we didn't read that. Did we read that at this? We didn't. Well, we read it earlier. <laughs> Psalm 142 says, uh, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and I tell him all my troubles because I'm overwhelmed. Pray like that sometimes if you need to. And in that honesty, let me give you three simple things that will help. First of all, realize that God understands. The man of sorrows is close to you when you are grieving. I mean, I'd, I'd like you to write out on a post note and put it on your mirror or on the dashboard that great promise from Psalm 147.5 that says, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. His understanding has no limit. Two, recommit to draw near to God as you can. Because as James said, come near to God and he will come near to you. Or as Paul said, the God of all comfort comforts us in our troubles. Or as Peter said, our, our, Peter said, 1 Peter 5, he cares for you, so cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We do this in different ways. We're different. I myself do this by turning to the scriptures, especially the Psalms, the Gospels, the letters. I begin to read, and sooner or later I find myself comforted by the Word of God. I find that hope, hope begins slowly to rise in me again because God is not only real, but he's sovereign and he can make a way through the darkness. So, so realize that God understands. Recommit to draw as close to God as you can. And then three, recognize and never forget this is not the whole story. Oh, what a great truth. Whatever is happening now is not the end of the story for the child of God. How many times have we thought that there's nothing else, nothing further God could do, it's over, and yet in time we see God step in and do something new and unexpected. Oh, how many times have we as church members looked back to that time when we lost our property, when we were at our lowest point as a church eight or nine years ago, and then we came upon those words of Jesus that changed our whole perspective John 13, 7, Jesus said, you don't realize what I'm doing now, but one day you will understand. Oh my goodness. I found I have to retrace these three steps whenever I'm in a time of sorrow. In all honesty with God, realize and remind yourself that God understands. Recommit to draw as close to him as you can. And recognize this is far from the end of the story. God's story is not over whatever. 
Most of you have probably read the Narnia tales by C.S. Lewis. And in the last book, The Last Battle, he ends with a a wonderful paragraph that reminds us of this truth. Uh, At the end of the Narnia tales, the children are um, thinking that they know how the story's going to end. But Aslan, the great lion of God, tells them that truly, it isn't Narnia that has been an ephemeral dream, but actually, this world has been the temporal story. And now, he says, the last real day is beginning. The beginning of their true real life has arrived. And this is what he says, all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they're beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Amen, amen, amen. I'd like you to take a few moments. Let's just be still for a few moments. Maybe bow our heads. And I'd like you just to call to mind and maybe someone for whom you have great sorrow. Maybe a dear friend. Maybe there's a sorrow upon you. Just for a moment, try to draw near to God and give it to him. And then we'll move to close. It is true. There are losses in this life that are beyond recovery. There are diseases that are not healed. There are terrible acts of malice or madness that we will never understand. Evil that is not explainable. Yes, we do have sorrow. But even in these, God, the God of sorrows, is with us. And he is also the God of all comfort. He does not spare us pain, but God is always working on our behalf to bring about better things. I'll just close with the story of a man long ago, an Englishman, his name was William Cooper. He lived in the 18th century. He was a very bright scholar, a literary genius, a poet, a hymn writer. All across England, people loved his poems and his hymns. He had a very sad life, all of his life. His mother died in childbirth when he was born. He always felt her loss very keenly. He was kind of a puny lad, was bullied as a boy. When he grew up, he fell in love, but the parents of his sweetheart refused to let her marry him. Grief upon grief. All his life he battled with depression, mental illness. More than once he tried to take his own life. 
He recovered, but still he struggled with melancholy all of his days. And uh, towards the end of his life, he was living with a married couple who were his dearest, closest friends. Uh, they, their love buoyed him up and helped him be close to the Lord. And, and then that man died, and he stayed in the house with the man's wife. And, and then she experienced total paralysis, and then she died. But before he died, he wrote uh, a wonderful hymn. Cowper, Cooper was a committed Christian, and he struggled in his faith, but he held on. He refused to let go. And uh, all his sorrows drove him close to God. And so one of his best loved hymns tells of a lesson he learned through his sadness. I just want to read the verses to you as we close. Many of you know it. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. God plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds with never failing skill, God treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace, because behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan or see God's works in vain. God is his own interpreter and God will make it plain. Let us pray. Oh God, have great mercy upon us in our grief. You know all our heartaches and pain. Please, merciful Lord, comfort us when we cannot comfort ourselves. Please, oh Lord, pick us up when we fall. Please carry us when we cannot walk. And all these things we ask for your mercy's sake, through Christ our Lord. Amen.